Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, we'll discuss the Internet of Things. Organizations have only just begun discovering and benefiting from the opportunities provided by the Internet of Things. However, the IoT also exposes organization to new security vulnerabilities introduced by increased network connectivity and devices that are not secured by design. In this episode, we'll explore the current state of the IoT security landscape and look at some of the developments in the battle to combat IoT security risks. Today for you, I have two fantastic guests, Paul Hampton at Thales and Ellen Bohm at Key Factor. And I will ask my guests to introduce themselves, starting with you, Paul. Thank you, Neera. So I'm Paul Hampton. I've uh, been here at Talis for just over 10 years now, uh, working uh, in uh, all things to do with uh, security, uh, including PKI, and uh, in recent years, uh, IoT as well. Uh, prior to uh, being with Talis, I've uh, spent uh, more years than I care to remember in the banking industry and also uh, uh, some time in manufacturing as well uh, uh, with uh, uh, some uh, control systems which uh, had uh, some fairly high security needs. And so uh, I, I'd say I've been in and around the IoT space for uh, quite some time now. And Ellen, let us know what you do at Key Factor. Hello. So thanks for the introduction. My name is Ellen Bame and I'm the VP of IoT Strategy at Key Factor. And I have uh, been with the company for about two years, but my uh, role is really to work with our customers that are making connected devices and understand how keys and certificates are embedded in devices and used to establish secure connections. So I have a lot of fun with my job, that's for sure. So I'm looking forward to chatting today. And prior to Key Factor, I, as with Paul, had been in, in the industry. So I worked in the lighting business uh, around connected systems control systems, street lighting, and a bit of smart home as well. Fantastic. So plenty of use cases to discuss here. So starting with you, Ellen, what is the current state of the IoT security landscape? So I would say it has really been growing when it comes to awareness of wanting to do the right thing when it comes to securing edge endpoints. And if we think about some of you know the recent news stories. I think, you know, right now in this, this day and age, the Colonial Pipeline um, has been in the news. We, we've also in recent past heard about people being able to hack into uh, the control system on a uh, water facility to be able to then monitor and then ultimately change levels of uh, elements within that system. And so those types of stories, which make it more real to us, I think, are bringing a, a heightened level of awareness about the outcomes that, that, that could occur if our systems and our IoT systems aren't secured properly. So that's kind of the, the starting point. Um, 
to add on to that, though, I must say that we've been having great conversations with with people in industries anywhere from medical devices to the control systems running critical infrastructure to a connected vehicle. And throughout all of those those industries, there is definitely a, an awareness about the need for encryption and authentication and how to, to want to secure devices and systems properly. Absolutely. And of course, uh, the, the pandemic has been uh, very conducive to uh, this kind of risk being exposed, particularly in the healthcare industry as well. So, Paul, what have you observed from a Thales point of view? Yeah, thank you, Nira. So I think the observations from a, a Thales perspective uh, go, I'll say, beyond just the pandemic, if you can say just pandemic, um, into uh, the massive growth of IoT generally, and then the effects that that pandemic has had on that. And so uh, from a, a TALIS observation perspective, we've been watching just the, the sheer scale of IoT gathering pace uh, year on year uh, and uh, heading towards what looks like uh, an almost unthinkable number of devices uh, online and connected uh, in the next few years. Uh, Gartner uh, are predicting 64 billion IoT devices by 2025. And so from Talis's perspective, uh, what we see are um, huge numbers of incoming devices and organizations looking to uh, take on the challenge of IoT and doing IoT correctly and also managing the security of an IoT infrastructure. Uh, but also, um, of course, growing uh, numbers of threats and attacks against IoT infrastructures as well. And so uh, with that growth comes, I think, uh, attention and also, unfortunately, opportunities for attackers. And so from a Talis perspective, there's uh, there's both huge positives and uh, some uh, considerable negatives as well from uh, where we stand today in terms of the uh, current state of IoT security. So, so continuing with you, Paul. So, how should we be securing connected device, given you know the Gartner figures that you've just given us? Yeah. So, if we if we, if we break that down um, a little bit, it, it works out to be something like 127 devices every second coming online. And so, for me, uh, that screams for the need for uh, full and complete automation, automation in all aspects and things connected with IoT, because the sheer scale doesn't lend itself to human beings carrying out specific processes. And so I think in terms of what organizations should do, I've just said automate, but that is by no means a a statement that you can then go away and act on on its own. I think the areas of particular interest are strong authentication, so how you authenticate devices and indeed users into uh, an IoT system. Anything and everything connected with device life cycle, so from the moment a device is manufactured through to the point where it is retired, and ensuring within that life cycle that we have complete confidentiality of information, almost regardless of the type of information, and we might touch a bit more on, on that later. And then uh, supply chain protection. This has been something of a hot topic in uh, certainly the the beginning of this year. We've seen uh, attacks uh, against supply chain, both for IoT, but also I'll say supply chain more generally 
particularly in the security industry. I'm thinking that things like the uh, solar winds and indeed Mimecast, uh, I'll say breaches as a sort of coverall. Um, and those things have led to, uh, I think, uh, an increasing attention into some supply chain gaps that you might find that apply extremely, uh, uh, particularly to IoT as well. Uh, and then uh, to labor the point with all of those things, they need to be handled in a manner that's truly fully automatable, uh, such that they can operate at the, the fairly massive scale that we're seeing. And uh, also regulations are pushing us towards more and more automation with uh, the success of uh, RegTech companies. So uh, of the three themes you, you've just mentioned, automa- automation, authentication and supply chain risk management are absolutely crucial in in all areas of security, uh, I guess. So, Ellen, what do you think a layered model of IoT security should look like? Yes, that's a great question. And kind of building on what Paul was saying, there is no silver bullet to just implement and then you're completely 100% secure. One, because this is complex. Two, because it's there's multiple layers of an IoT stack where you need to talk about what is the proper level of security that's needed. So when we think about on the actual edge device itself, you've got a PCB and it's running, you know, there's some hardware there that's likely where you've got firmware, it's running your functionality and features. I think one of the most important pieces to to also start with there is being able to create a private key on the device, we call it on-device key generation, and then having that key become this unique identifier per each device. And so that is, that's kind of one of the, the fundamentals of public key infrastructure, PKI. And that, as we know, is a critical element to enable a zero trust architecture upon which you can build things. So I, that's why I think kind of starting with this, this unique uh, digital identity for each edge device is really important and really critical. If you if you do that in the right way, then you can essentially, you know, have that proper authentication so that that edge device can only communicate with other devices that that it's allowed to communicate with. So that's kind of one one piece of it. Another piece I think when we're kind of layering in IoT security would be around secure firmware signing. So in, in that regard, we know that we have devices that we flash with firmware and manufacturing, and then they they run their you know their uh, typical function. But then at some point, you need to push an update of that code. And so, as a manufacturer, you have to make sure that your developers are signing that with a code signing certificate that is is secured and it's it's accessible to people that you trust that are within your company and that you have audit capability and controls around that. So so signing firmware such that when you push that with an OTA and it gets received by the device, it is only installed after you've you've verified again the authenticity of that code and the origin of that code. So I think that's that's kind of another piece when we think about uh, layering on top of the identity is also secure code signing. I think Ellen uh covered the the points pretty much perfectly there so uh, I, I mentioned a little bit device life cycle and, and certainly that initial creation the the first manufacturer or, or birth of the device where you uh, 
create the key material that is going to represent the digital identity of that device and indeed underpin the future confidentiality, integrity and availability of the communications to and from that device. It's absolutely key to then building uh, an infrastructure, both a public key infrastructure, but also an IoT infrastructure uh, that can be secured and managed. Um, And uh, as Ellen said, this is uh, really part of the, I'll say the zero trust principle that you really need to have in place when you're constructing uh, this type of, of infrastructure. Um, the uh, Touching on the, the firmware signing pieces, uh, absolutely, that's really important to give both control of origin and, and authenticity, but also to make sure that you keep future control of your devices uh, as well. And I think that's uh, an area where uh, we see certainly attackers looking and probing, um, not just what can uh, what can I do with the the firmware on the device today? But could I take control of a particular network through um, firmware updates? Be they uh, digitally signed with a, some form of, of road key if uh, an organisation's lost control of its PKI in some way, shape, or form. And I I mentioned the uh, the Mimecast brief uh, breach earlier as an example of that. Um, uh, but equally, if that protection isn't there. Could I load a completely different uh, set of firmware to that device and essentially uh, take control of that IoT infrastructure, give the device a completely different personality? Absolutely, quite quite scary, and not 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 on, not only has uh, the IoT uh, uh, become more and more popular in uh, businesses or uh, in in all sectors, but it has also invaded our, our personal lives. And as soon as we start talking about in private individuals, uh, we start thinking about uh, privacy. So what are the data privacy implications of the IoT? So uh, I think from uh, my perspective, the, you can break these down into, I, I suppose, the obvious and major issues and then some less immediately obvious concerns. So in the, the really really obvious, um, the, uh, certainly the privacy concerns would be a uh, some form of complete hijack of, of the data from the infrastructure, potentially some form of tampering from the data that's running from the IoT device back to uh, the rest of the infrastructure, uh, or uh, with some form of weak authentication in place, the ability to you know, impersonate an IoT device or uh, essentially register yourself with that IoT device uh, when you're not supposed to be using it. So I suppose those are the, some of the really obvious pieces, but I think IoT also brings with it the opportunity for uh, attackers or or others with malintent to construct, I'll say, much more sophisticated attacks that transcend just any individual IoT device. And so I'm thinking of uh, mosaic attacks in particular, where I can take a little piece of data from multiple different places and uh, put that together to form a much bigger picture about an individual potentially or indeed a, an organization and by layering data from from many different iot devices if they aren't appropriately secured uh, you can uh, start to capture uh, very rich forms of data indeed uh, richer than any individual device could potentially give you um, and so uh, this for me goes back to why regardless of the 
type of data that an IoT device might be sending. Let's say it's it's just a temperature sensor. The, the data obviously isn't sensitive. It's only the temperature of a room, for example. Um, but when layered with other pieces of information, you could start to build up a picture about the occupancy of a building, for example, from that. And so regardless of the, the type of data or how, uh, I suppose, innocent it appears on its own, confidentiality of that becomes uh, absolutely key. And Ellen, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, my, my thoughts on this are when we're working with clients that are in the medical device space, and you think about a device that's attached to a patient's body that obviously is collecting very specific information about that person, that person's health, and it is of utmost importance to keep that private, keep that uh, that connection secure. So I think in that case, it's 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 a conversation with again the the clinicians, the hospital networks, the people who really need to actually interpret that data in order to make informed decisions about their patient, the health of their patient. Uh, but it's also that you don't want anyone to be able to intercept that and then be able to make a, a, a wrong decision based on data that was in your, inaccurate or maybe wasn't even tied to that, that end person. So these are the types of things that I think we have to be very careful about because it can really, it can impact life human life and, uh, you know, again, human information that we need to really keep uh, secure. The data manipulation could be, uh, uh, could be quite dramatic if, uh, if it was uh, wrongly used, absolutely. So, and now that uh, we have uh, increased network connectivity and hyper-connectivity and things are so much faster and i'm thinking particularly about uh, 5g so how will 5g impact the iot yeah i think this is a really interesting one because you think about the possibilities now when you have increased bandwidth connectivity which is really i think a prime then uh, environment for iot to, to to leverage because you have multiple sensors that are likely going to be placed in, let's think about throughout a city or think about throughout a, a university campus. I mean, just, just places where IoT devices can provide information and insights into how thing, things and assets are operating, whether it's in a factory environment, it's on a farm, farmland. There's, there's just, there's so many uh, opportunities to then leverage more devices that can collect more information quickly. And so I think that that's going to be something where we're likely going to see additional vendors be able to, to launch products that then can, can help us when, it, when we're kind of trying to capture more information and then be able to run analytics on that information that we collect. And Paul, have you got a take on this from what you observed in your client base? So I think 5G really fertilizes the ground for IoT. And we, we've talked about the, the scale of the uptake with IoT. And, and 5G is really just an accelerant for that in, in, from my perspective. It doesn't change any of the things we've talked about uh, so far particularly. What it does do is, is bring in you know, extremely high levels of both connectivity but also data transfer capabilities as well. And so uh, for areas that... 
previously, maybe uh, just the quantity of data that was uh, needing to be collected didn't make sense to do at very remote locations. Ellen referenced farming, uh, as, and I think that's a, a really great example. Uh, 5G uh, unlocks that uh, opportunity also. And so I think it really just, just fuel the fire of uh, the existing IoT trend and deployment. So talking about the fueling the the fire we've seen over the past sort of uh, uh, 18 months, an increase in uh, remote working and working from home and uh, uh, organization uh, rapidly trying to, to replicate the corporate security infrastructure uh, in premises that are not necessarily conducive to to doing this so how can we make sure that employees are iot security aware perhaps ellen sure there's a couple things i think that we can do and you mentioned the remote work which is a great example i think it really forced a lot of people quickly to have to figure out how to still connect to their back-end systems in a secure way to continue operating their business you know, even the, the simple example is if, okay, well, if now you're, you're not in your office, but you can maybe go to to sit outside at a coffee shop or something and use their Wi-Fi network, well, you also should also VPN in to, to secure your laptop, right, or secure your, your phone. And those are the kinds of things that for a, people who maybe aren't in the security space or the technology space don't really think about, you know, this is an endpoint, which is allowing, if, if someone was to actually access through my device into my corporate network because I, you know, have not VPNed in or have not don't have the proper security controls around it, then that's all they need is one little open door. Uh, we've had uh, think about a, a one a customer we've been speaking with that mentioned they own a, a grocery retail chain and within the grocery there's obviously IoT devices that are being purchased and then used to collect information around how is the the HVAC system running? You know, how are the doors opening and closing? You know, maybe what is the traffic of people passing through a certain area? There's a sensor for that, right? So all of these discrete and not disconnected systems that they purchased and put in their network to provide insights into how their, their retail store is operating, which is great, but they're also not under this one security umbrella. And they're and but if the devices are on the network again, any one of them can be a weak point in. And so th that's the kind of thing that I think we need to educate employees around. You know, anything that you do when it comes to bringing it onto the corporate network can be a risk to to someone hacking in. So we kind of have to think about that strategically, and how we want to make sure that endpoints that that are in users' hands can be secured, but then also these new IoT systems that we're bringing into our network as well can also be highly secure. And Paul, do you have a take on this? Uh, I think that this idea that the corporate network is extending and extended very, very rapidly uh, after the pandemic hit, uh, I think captures both um, some of the, the challenge, uh, I'd say possibly some of the opportunity associated with IoT as well. And I think this works two ways as well. So the corporate network absolutely uh, became vastly extended uh, geographically and logically uh, as a result of, of people no longer working from the office. 
But I think the corporate network is also being expanded just in terms of the quantity of devices that are operating within it as a result of, of IoT. And I'm thinking beyond just people carrying smartphones and you know, smartwatches and other smart devices uh, about their person when they go into the office, but also the devices that are operating within the office environment. And so uh, smoke detectors and other you know, building entry and security systems are suddenly all connected devices. Uh, by way of example. And so I think almost the the challenges that the pandemic brought about were challenges that were almost being played out anyway, possibly not quite as obvious and, and well noticed uh, as, uh, as folks suddenly no longer being in the office. But I think those same challenges of uh, the growing nature of the, uh, the corporate network and, and quite where the start and end of that network is, um, a present, uh, regardless of uh, of people being in the office or not. Sure, thank you. So, uh, as as you both know, we we've got plenty of uh, security and uh, privacy regulations around worldwide in any kind of geography. Uh, in the UK, we've had uh, uh, the proposal for uh, regulating artificial intelligence and so on and so forth. And of course, the regulations do help. But when it specifically comes to the IoT, what are the regulatory bodies doing on this? Is there anything you could point us to? Yeah, so I think there. There's a lot that we have heard that is emerging. I think there's a lot of guidelines and recommendations that eventually could make it to regulation, right? And then we have to keep people accountable. I think one that we've been talking about recently was from the U.S. perspective. In December of 2020, the U.S. government signed into law the IoT Cybersecurity Act, and then subsequently signed up NIST to release some guidance around that. So NIST 8259 provides some specific information around how IoT vendors can implement some security best practices, which include things that we've already discussed around secure firmware updates, unique device identities, using asymmetric certificates, uh, using encryption and proper uh, crypto libraries, storing crypto keys and, and private keys in hardware, and then having a capability to update any of these roots of trust crypto certificates over time. Because you know, as Paul mentioned earlier, thinking about the whole life cycle of how you as an OEM is going to manage your fleet of devices that you've sold to your customers is really important. It's not just about that initial certificate and that initial identity. It's about making sure that the integrity of the device can remain at that high level throughout its whole life cycle and that you can refresh those identities, you can swap out crypto and certificates when you need to on your time. Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, for for our listeners, uh, so the the, the NIST uh, guide, guidelines uh, uh, are particularly relevant. Anything else you can point us to, Paul? Uh, I, I think one day we will have a... Uh, almost a, a standard set of uh, IoT security uh, requirements and possibly even laws uh, enforcing that, um, and maybe even a certification to a company that means manufacturers can certify their IoT devices to uh, show both uh, end users, uh, be they corporate or consumers, uh, that uh, their device meets that minimum bar. I think at the moment, uh, 
the IoT uh, Security Act that Ellen referenced, sorry, Cyber Security Act that Ellen referenced, uh, is uh, by far and away the the most advanced uh, thing in this space at the moment. Uh, everything else is uh, essentially drawing from other disciplines, I'd say. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with that, but um, by that I mean things like ISO 27001, the Information Security Management System Framework, uh, we see organizations using that to um, apply best practice controls to their IoT infrastructure. And I think that's entirely sensible and appropriate. But uh, I expect, particularly given the numbers we're talking about in terms of number of devices and the growth, we will actually have these, I'll say, dedicated uh, both standards and certifications apply to IoT in the future. Sure, and we look forward to that. But uh, uh, we we all know that uh, regulatory cycles, uh, as well intended as they might be, can be quite uh, long. I mean, we're talking a few years here before uh, before anything uh, happens or get gets passed into law in any geography. So whilst we wait for uh, the actual regulation, which uh, which gives an additional uh, uh, um, element of uh, compelling organization into, into securing their IoT infrastructures, um, what best practice should we be looking at when it comes to preparing a corporate infrastructure for any IoT rollout in the absence, perhaps, of specific regulation, but of course, looking at the guidelines that are currently available, starting with you, Ellen. Yeah, I think that there's a couple things is to really understand the identity and access controls around the devices, you know, what comes with it out of the box in the system that you're then procuring from an IoT vendor, and then how you might be able to or want to connect that into your internal identity management system. Um, then secondly is, is likely just understand what, what sort of encryption, you know, certificate-based authentication it exists or comes with that? Or do you want to perhaps then layer on something on top of that if into, into the device if the device can enroll for a certificate via standard protocol, that, that sort of thing, then you can at least Put put your one of your uh, enterprise certificates on that device to be able to manage it and, and control it that way. So I think there's th- those are some things that you can do to start, and and obviously continue to be aware of some of these stories that we've talked about, some of the emerging conversations around re- regulations because it does it really does help. And I think independent of what industry you're in, the themes really do come to be the same. You know, secure authentication encryption of data, uh, code signing, firmware signing, and really just having a way to make sure that that can be automated when it comes to initial device uh, provisioning, and then also when it comes to the life cycle. And you, Paul, so best practice for you know, setting out into this new world? I think Ellen's given an excellent guide there to any organization looking to roll out IoT devices. I think uh, in order to maybe re-emphasize uh, what Ellen has just taken us through, I, I'd say it goes very much back to the life cycle we talked about earlier. So um, in terms of analyzing any given IoT device and uh, what level of security has been, I'll say, uh, envisioned and built in by the, the manufacturer, 
I probably start by walking through that same life cycle. So how is the device manufactured? Where is it manufactured? How are the keys that are injected to that device created? Assuming, of course, there are keys, which is uh, uh, probably first principles in and of itself. Who has access to that key material um, beyond the actual manufacturer? Is there a contract manufacturer involved in this scenario, for example? Then once the device has been manufactured and it's then uh, shipped and is being set up and configured, uh, again, those, those same questions in terms of access and uh, called out authentication. Um, and I think that's absolutely vital, the, the access control to those devices. How is that configured? How is it controlled? What secures the data flows to and from those devices? How do you uh, update a device and what security is in place around the updates to that device? Uh, how often can you expect to be updating those devices? Does that process happen automatically or is there some form of manual intervention that's required in order to do that? And, and there's decisions at each of these steps for an organization. Do you want those automatic updates? Would you prefer to scrutinize them first, for example? And those things will align largely, I think, with existing corporate IT policies. And then obviously, we need to then move on to the uh, retirement stage of the lifecycle. How do you uh, remove a device from service? What data might it still contain at that point in time where it's taken out of service? How do you clear that device of data and be confident that the data is removed? And then layering over that, there's the, there's the what if question, I suppose. What if there's a breach? Uh, what controls do we have in place to uh, make changes to the infrastructure? Let's say uh, there's uh, a compromise at the vendor and we need to update key material in our suite of IoT devices that we have deployed. How do we go about doing that? Is it possible? Are the provisions made to allow us to do that? What would be the, the burden on our, on our organization uh, in carrying out that rollout? Would we have to physically visit every device, for example? And so by, I suppose, walking through those, those life cycle steps, you can build up a, a picture of exactly the device you're deploying and, and how well uh, adapted it is for your organization. Thank you, Paul. So uh, uh, what I'm hearing really is a, is a standard best information security practice, but not only looking at the, uh, the triad of uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, but also looking at all aspects of people processes and technology because we've been talking a lot about uh, about technology today so i'm afraid that's all we have time for today but before i let you go paul and ellen i would like to ask you for one final tip of best practice for our listeners starting with you ellen sure and thanks for having me this has been great i i'd say my my final thought would just be don't think of this as a strategy that needs to be complete overnight or even within a matter of one or two months. I think this is an evolving strategy that your company should have and it will get better over time, right? So start with the basics, start with what you can control and then build upon that with a solid security architecture strategy. Thank you, Ellen. And what's your final tip, Paul? So I think for me is to treat IoT devices like any other uh, important part of your information uh, architecture and indeed your information security architecture. They are 
not necessarily any different to a server that's running your financial system, for example, and should be treated with the same degree of control and scrutiny. As we've discussed, the um, the scale and scope of these devices, even if they seem maybe mundane uh, in terms of their application, uh, means that the impact to your organization can be significant. And uh, picking up on what Ellen said, you've got to start somewhere. And so by applying those uh, that stance and that set of controls, then you can, uh, I believe, make something that seems like a, a daunting and unmanageable task initially becomes something that can be well controlled. Thank you, Paul. Uh, you've been both of you fantastic guests and uh, some very practical advice given to our listeners. Uh, you have been listening to Paul Hampton at Talis and Ellen BM at Key Factor. Uh, it has been my privilege to hosting this uh, session uh, of the Talis Security Session podcast. That's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. Love this episode of the Talus Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.